hope one day I get reunited with my hybrid hamster children that I have <laughs> due to the fact they used my swimmers to see if they could penetrate hamster eggs. All right, all right. Welcome into the show, everybody. Fellas, here we are, episode two. How's everybody feeling? I'm honestly stunned that we're here for episode two. We didn't get canceled. Um, We didn't get taken off the airwaves. Really excited to be here. It's exciting. I'm glad we got one under our belt. We uh, kind of know what we're doing now. So we'll see where this takes us. Ryan, I'm just happy to have most of my voice back for this episode. Yeah, I think I think it's crazy that six weeks ago, this was just a, a not even an idea yet from Mr. Kyle Binkley's mind, but here that's we a, are. That's a scary place. If, if you're listening to episode two, that means you enjoyed episode one, and uh, we really do appreciate your support. Let's get into the show. Let's roll. So we're apparently developing quite a rabid fan base out there. We've got a lot of questions, a lot of mail coming in. And so it was almost too much to go through this week. I've gathered up some of the more common questions that I saw. And so let's just take an opportunity to to answer some of the fans. So question one comes in from Dixie Sue in Portland. And she wants to know, she says, Dear Denominators, I still have no idea what this podcast is about. Can you give me a very short summary? Jansen, could you answer that for us? I can. Well, Dixie, you know, kind of where this podcast was born was from a group of guys realizing at a, at a small group or actually at church that we're important to each other. And being important to each other and having that community for each other is important. And so we decided to, to get together and through our stories and experiences and uh, our growing camaraderie um, to be an outlet for people out there, to let them know that when they look around and and see people that they think they have their lives together, that um, we don't, nobody does, and um, we're here to help any way we can. Great Dixie, answer. thanks so much for your for your feedback. Great, great answer, great. Jansen. Yeah. That wasn't very short, but it was a great it answer. It was not so. short. All right, question two comes in from Percy Joe. From Smyrna, he wants to know, or he says, I really love the first episode. How can I help support the show in the future? Percy, thanks so much for listening and for following us. Uh, Definitely social media. Uh, We're on Instagram and Twitter. Both are at CommonPod. Just remember it's at C-O-M-M-E-N-P-O-D, at CommonPod. But yeah, thanks a lot for, for following us. And please be sure to tell your friends and family about the podcast. Uh, I've got to be honest, at first I thought it was just gonna, we were just going to be podcasting to our wives, but uh, apparently the podcast has a little bit further reach than that and found out that uh, there's some extended family that have been listening as well and enjoying the podcast. So guys, uh, just please tell your friends and family, tell them to subscribe, and uh, we just really appreciate the support. And if you've got questions or episode ideas for us, please reach out to us to our email, commondenominators at gmail.com. Again, that's C-O-M-M-E-N denominators at gmail.com. So it's been a pretty big week for the denominators. A lot of good things going on. I sense maybe a little cockiness. We're getting a little, maybe a little bit of, of the big head. We have had Google Play and iTunes publish our podcast this week. 
Our social media following has had a crazy amount of growth. I would put it at an estimate at like 10,000%. And we've got some pretty cool swag. Uh, Kyle made some decals today for our windows and our cups. And we've got some t-shirts on the way that should be ready for our, our fans soon. That's all well and good, but let's talk about where we sucked on the last episode. All right, so does anybody want to guess how many times Lance said the word testicle? 700. You're close. 27. 27. It was actually 10. It felt like 27. It was actually 10. In fact, I think we have a mashup of uh, testicle talk. Damaged testicle. Wrong testicle. Your testicle. Right testicle. No testicles. The testicle. Damage to the testicle. Testicle. Damaged testicle. The wrong testicle. A busted testicle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just thrilled I could make a cameo in the testicle uh, mashup there. I've got to get after my 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 boy a little bit, Ryan. Uh, little feedback I got, he was trying to be uh, the podcast Barry White, dropping his voice down a couple octaves. So I've been requested to pump him up with some five hour energy and get a little get a little flow going. What's what's a what's an octave? I, I don't know. Is it, isn't that a musical term? I didn't, yeah, it's close enough. Yeah, yeah it's close, good it's enough. close enough. It works. Is that anything like a? Visectomy? Yeah. Can you, can you explain, no, see, can you explain vis- to what a visectomy a, a is? Visectomy is different. See, I grew up on a farm. We did visectomies on the farm, but it does nothing like anything y'all described. It usually happened in the field while you were holding the cow down. So R- Redneck style? Yes, it's very redneck style. So clearly we had our fair share of speech mishaps, but I want to touch on the technical mishaps that happened this week. So, Adam, I'm really glad that you like my Kid Fierce segment so much that you decided to put it into the podcast twice and then upload it to Google Play. Yeah, that, that's the director's cut, uh, the exclusive cut, but don't worry. It only went to Android, and nobody has an Android, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, except for, except for me and uh, one other guy in southern Mississippi, so we're good. Well, look, I, I've got two this week. I don't want to throw Adam under the bus because he, he kind of put me in the trust tree here of secrecy, but he sent me a little clip this week, and so he heard balls he heard testicles he heard nuts i mean probably twig. 50 there was twig, twig there, yeah. 50 times but for some reason when jansen said he didn't want his balls to look like freddy krueger that was too much for him and so he actually tried to bleep that one balls out of the so episode. the 63rd time he heard balls he decided he it, it was too much there, yeah. he has a line every man has a line i guess somewhere so my response was if if you can't say balls, this podcast is dead. Doomed. And guys, if you have no idea what we're talking about right now, please make sure you go back and listen to episode one. All right, gang, we got a new segment that I'm really excited about. We've all done fantasy sports drafts, right? You guys have done those Absolutely. plenty of times yeah, in the past. Yes, sir. Uh, heck, I've even played a few seasons of Fantasy Survivor. Uh, so that, yeah, it's a little, <laughs> little nerdy. Weird. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but what we want to do today is do a, a fantasy draft all our own. But this is going to be a little different, not sports related at all. Here's the situation. Imagine there's some doomsday event that is looming. The world is going to end. Meteorite, something is hitting this place. Everybody's going to die. All right. There's one bunker that is built somewhere that you're in charge of. And so you get to go in this bunker and you get to handpick the people that go in there with you that have the sole task of carrying on the human existence after this apocalyptic event. Sweet. I like it. All right. So we're going to pick people each week. We'll do a round a week. We'll snake the draft and see what happens. All right. So this week, the person that you're going to pick to go in that bunker with you is a character from the office. 
Now remember, this is a character from The Office. It's not an actor. If you're picking John Krasinski, you're getting Jim Halpert. You're okay. not getting right. you're not getting Jack Ryan. All right. So just make sure you understand <laughs> those ground rules. Make sense? I'm ready. Yes, all right. We're gonna pick the draft order right here. Nobody knows this yet. I've got it on a spreadsheet, random number generator. So let's see what happens. Adam, oh, you got it. the first pick. Oh. Why is everybody upset that I'm getting the first pick? I, I'm, I'm assuming the worst here. Okay, so for the office character, I uh, I didn't want to go with the obvious, but maybe I did go with the obvious. I went with Bob Vance. Maybe you know him, Vance Refrigeration. What kind of line of work is he in? Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's in refrigeration. Uh, he seems to have a lot of knowledge about refrigerations, and he could probably whip us up a cooling apparatus of, of sorts. Oh, so uh, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Yeah, a little bit off the board. I like well, where you're at. Number two pick is myself. What a rig. Promise it was rigged, not. Promise. Rigged. Promise this was not rigged. This is a tough one. That was that that the first pick threw me off, so I didn't really know what to do. I didn't think this would fall to me, uh, but I think you have to go with Pam. Oh come on! Uh, she's she's a mother. You know she's going to be able to to bear children nope. for the the future, uh, for for the, the the future of this world. So it's got to be got to be Pam Beasley. Uh, pick number three, Ryan. Oh yeah, number my number one pick is still on the board. It is clearly Dwight Schrute. Oh. But this guy, he has an affinity for weapons. He, he'll be able to fortify and defend our bunker. But the most important thing is he's a beet farmer. you got to have food to survive. Gotta have food supply. i got a feeling his farming skills can expand quickly outside of beets into other vegetables. So we're going to be living a long time thanks to Dwight. He may, he may be a little annoying. Man, he's we'll get over it. It's entertaining. It's entertainment. Pick number four, Kyle. All right, here we go. I really want to go with Jim here because he seems like a cool hang, seems like he'd be a good dude. But I'm going to go with the next hottest girl, and that would be Aaron. Totally annoying, but she's hot. So, And it's a, you know, apocalypse in a bunker is a long time. She's annoying. That's okay. I can tune it out. I've got kids. I can tune it out. That's a horrible pick. Says the guy that went with a 50-year-old man that owns a refrigeration company. refrigeration, Okay. <laughs> Uh, pick number five, Lance. All right, so I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm going back and forth between two people, and I think I'm going to go with Robert California. This might be a questionable pick, but Robert California is a genius, and I think I want that guy on my team, and I feel like he's a good leader, and he can help us uh, rebuild the earth. Uh, can't do much in terms of repopulating like Aaron can, but um, yeah, I'm going to go with Robert California. Great pick, Lance. And Jansen, bad news, you're the sixth pick. Good news, you'll get the first pick in the next round. That's nice. Um, I uh, was going with Dwight, and Ryan stole it. So, you know what? It's the apocalypse. We've got to survive. I'm going to go with Angela. And just because I know she will bring 75 cats with her, and we've all eaten Chinese food, and we know we can eat cats. So I'm going with Angela just for her kitty cat food source. And, um, yeah, that's my pick. Brilliant. Kung Pao chicken in the Armageddon is pretty good. All right, for the Common Pod Doomsday Draft Round 2, we're picking TV dads. Any generation, any TV show, uh, let's see what you think. Jansen, you're up first. My TV dad pick is going to be the one, the only, Jack Bauer. And the reason I picked Jack Bauer is at some point we're going to come out of the bunker. And if we do come out of the bunker, I can't think of any other TV dad that I would want 
leading the way than uh, than Jack Bauer. Lance. Man, that is a solid pick, Jansen. I really like that pick. Um, so I think I'm going to have the smartest bunker here because I think you guys are gonna really going to like this next pick. So I've already got Robert California. And next, we're adding to the list another intelligent person, Walter White. Oh, that was my pick. Nice. Dang it. Oh, Dang he's going to have some on the list. So, yeah, we, we've definitely got some brains in the bunker. And if you, you know, if we get bored, uh, Walter can cook us up a little something, too. So uh, we're good nice. to go. And you won't have to worry about your teeth. They'll run out. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. And if, no you're, if you're still either. partial to Brian Cranston, you know, Malcolm in the Middle is still on the <laughs> board as true. well. I like the Walter White version better. Pick number three in round two belongs to Kyle. Well, I'm going to. This guy will not probably add any value to my bunker, but at least I won't be the only one thinking exactly or saying exactly what I'm thinking. I'm going with Archie Bunker. He, he, he would be more politically incorrect than me, and I think we should have some good conversations. Our audience members over 60 should really connect with that yeah, <laughs> Yes. Well, that's my audience I'm playing to. All right, Kyle. Uh, pick number four for round two, Ryan. All right, I'm still really rattled by Lance's pick. I thought for sure Walter White would make it all the way through. So no way. I'm going to my second pick, which I don't even like, but I'm, I'm he's got some value. I'm going to go with Dan Connor from Roseanne. <laughs> I thought he's a he's a guy's guy. I can hang out. We can have fun. He's also, if you remember, a building contractor. I think we're going to have to do some development on, on our new land to survive. And he's also a, a mechanic. So he's got a little handy work. I'm a little heavy on the males right now with Dwight Schrute. And also, Dan. just a little heavy with yeah, Dan Connor. <laughs> you might not have. I you have enough. A little heavy. Going <laughs> I'm going a little older and uh, a little male heavy here, but I think I got a good start. We're gonna we're gonna live. Uh, all right, uh, it's back to me now with the fifth pick, and I'm going for somebody that's a proven leader, somebody that can can turn things around, and somebody that is is going to to lead us into the future. And that's Eric Taylor from Friday Night Lights, Coach Taylor. Uh, you cannot get any better of a person, better of a leader, than Coach Eric Taylor. I like the fact y'all have useful picks. Mine is useless, I'm totally useless. <laughs> Your football team's probably not going to be very big, though. <laughs> his, his name is Archie Bunker, so yeah. at least he's, yeah, he's in, in the Italian. All right, clearly you've all forgot about the best TV dad that can get us through an apocalypse because he has apocalyptic experience. That would be Herschel from The Walking Dead. Mm. Again, he has post-apocalyptic knowledge. Uh, he could render first aid because he's got good medical experience. And he has a really cool stick for a leg. So Herschel, Walking Dead, there you go. You just want to make sure the version with the head still on. It's the yeah. One yeah, yeah. Once he lost his head, he wasn't near as valuable. Spoiler alert, by the way. Yeah. So last week we talked a lot about preventing kids through vasectomies. It was a pretty hilarious conversation. Somehow this week we are going to go a full 180, and we're going to talk about the difficulty of having kids. Uh, we're going to talk about infertility today. So one of the things that's shocking is how many people are impacted by this. I honestly was ignorant. I had no clue. And just getting to know you guys, I was really surprised that 50% of the people here at the table have had some pretty significant issues with it. So today is going to be a little bit different on this episode. We're going to be a little bit more of a roundtable like panel discussion where three of us haven't really struggled with it. We're probably going to ask some stupid questions, uh, and then you guys 
which is Jansen, Kyle, and Lance, have all struggled with this in your marriages. So I guess the first question is, if you think about, like, all of us, anybody that's had kids, I mean, there's some delay. I mean, it might take a month or it might take six months. So for you guys that have struggled with it, like, when did you start to worry? Like, how did you know, like, start thinking about, man, I may be infertile? So for Jessica and I, this is Kyle, um, we got married in April of 2011. We decided to start have, trying to have kids pretty quickly. We went a whole year with no success of pretty rigorous attempts to, to get pregnant, and that's when we kind of started to get a little bit concerned, not overly concerned, but we were pretty concerned about um, not being able to get pregnant, and it kind of ended up being somewhere around year two that we decided, okay, we've got some definite issues here, and that's when we started trying to kind of seek help. Yeah, this is Jansen. Um, similar to the uh, same thing Kyle said, we um, we got married in 2006, so we were married a couple years before we tried to start having kids, but it was... Um, it was a good year of trying before we realized that it wasn't happening. And Jennifer's doctor actually recommended we go to a uh, fertility clinic to get ourselves checked out just to see if, uh, see if there was an issue. So this is Lance, and uh, Tim and I, were, we were married in 2013, and we tried by ourselves for, well, obviously by ourselves, but we tried for about <laughs> two and a half years. You couldn't buy tickets. But we tried for about two and a half years before we actually sought help. And you know, the crazy thing was is uh, after we got married, everybody would, you know, was coming up to us, so, you know, y'all going to have kids? And we're like, yeah, we're going to have kids right away. We, you know, we were really serious about it, but it just didn't happen for us. And, you know, we tried for about two and a half years, and I think it was just ignorance that, you know, we didn't know what was wrong, and that's when we sought help. So it's really humbling to hear you talk about that because I know from from my vantage point, when you know when when my wife and I when we decided to to pull the goalie, it was <laughs> it, it happened very yeah, yeah very quickly like like I mean within uh, just a few weeks we were pregnant and and expecting our first kid and we just never experienced anything like that. So from the from the start of the process of hey now we were kind of figuring out that that we can't, we can't do this maybe the normal way. Uh, how long did that process take until you were able to actually have kids? Well, unfortunately, I couldn't hit the empty net was my problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for us, so ours is a two-prong, and I'll get into a little bit more lately. We had kind of two prongs of infertility. So Jess and I were married in April of 2011. We went two years, basically. It's about August 2012. We finally decided to seek help and, and went to a fertility doctor and learned there were some issues with some hormone levels and stuff like that. And we were fortunate we got early, uh, we got pregnant in early 2013 with the help of some, some uh, supplemental medicines that kind of brought her levels back into balance. We were able to get pregnant with, with our daughter, um, who is now five, and basically a normal pregnancy, and, and she was born, and that, that was kind of our first. Unfortunately, that was our easier round with infertility, and, and I'll kind of go into a little bit later, let these other guys answer about our next step with infertility. Uh, so I'm actually still trying to figure out the math in my head, but uh, we finally got pregnant in, I guess it was October of 2015. Uh, Jackson was born uh, July 2016. So, you know, maybe... maybe maybe another year or so of actually trying with help. But the crazy thing about our situation is, you know, we, we tried a, a few of the, uh, I guess, strategies at the fertility clinic, but 
none of them really worked. It, the only thing that actually worked was uh, when we kind of stopped stressing out about it, and um, it just happened naturally. And the only explanation I have for it is that it was just a miracle. That's awesome. Uh, this is Jansen again. We uh, we had a little different situation than uh, than you two, but um, ended up going to the fertility doctor, and it was one hundred percent me like my swimmers in the nicest way I could put it were were deformed so they were either missing tails missing heads they couldn't swim in a straight line it was it was pretty bad um how did you have so attractive children with all these missing heads and tails <laughs> I don't know well, you, you got tell a cute me family. they got enough of their mother's genes <laughs> that uh they were spared for me but um yeah so I had some serious issues with my with my swimmers so I actually had to go to the clinic more than Jennifer did just to make my weekly deposit so that they could test and check everything out, even to the extent that somewhere out there, and I hope one day I get reunited with my hybrid hamster children that I have <laughs> due to the fact they <laughs> used my swimmers to see if they could penetrate hamster eggs, and apparently they did, so somewhere out there, probably living in the sewers. There's a hamster is, with no head. There, yeah, there's a hamster, <laughs> a a hybrid hamster, <laughs> yeah. baby. Ginger hamsters. Uh, yeah, yeah, with bright red hair. But um, the overall process, since it was me, you know, there was there was more of me having to go take care of business and doing all that. So um, one year of trying on our own, and then a full year of um, going to the fertility clinic and ultimately having to do insemination for her to get pregnant with our first, with Hudson. And uh, I think we did that three times. And uh, on the third time, it, it, it worked. So it, uh, it was a process. And, and, you know, looking back on it, it was, it was a growing opportunity. So like, like Daniel, Catherine and I didn't really struggle. Like for Reed, it happened immediately. When we got to Grant, like when we got to six months, we were like incredibly frustrated. And then we had him. And I and just hearing y'all stories, I feel stupid even being like frustrated <laughs> six months. So how, I mean, t- talk about the frustration. Like how frustrating was it? Like y'all mentioned like year, two, three years in. So it, it, it definitely can take its toll on you because, you know, when you get married, relations, we'll call them, is supposed to be kind of, you know, a beautiful thing between a husband and a wife. And, you know, when you're trying to have kids and it's not happening, it becomes a very frustrating situation that puts a lot of strain on the relationship because it becomes more about, you know, hey, we've got to do this. You know, it, it's almost like it's a job more so than oh, yeah. you're actually enjoying it. And that's hard. Yeah, it's, uh, I can know trying to schedule relations with your wife based on a calendar is, gets really awesome after about two months of doing that. It really takes the sizzle out of a young marriage. But for us, the next layer, what I kind of was talking about, we really didn't understand infertility till we got ready to have our second child. And with that, we we figured it was just a matter of taking the same medicines, we're good to go. So we started back pretty quick after after our first was born. We started trying like a year later maybe to, to have our second child. And we didn't we did not have that. So we got back on the same meds. Got pregnant immediately. We're super excited, and immediately miscarried. Doctor said, "Okay, it happens." You know, this is like May of 2015. We get pregnant immediately. Miscarried in June. So we're like, "Okay, 
So then we go another year, trying to get pregnant, nothing happening. We actually then, in 2016, get pregnant with twins, which was terrifying. <laughs> but we also miscarried both of those. Um, and then it was later that year we also got pregnant again with another set of twins and lost one of the twins. The other one was survived and had a heartbeat, but then it was a couple of weeks later, maybe a month later, we lost that one as well. So at that point, we were completely devastated. We didn't know what to do. You know, we had, had we, we understood infertility, and then it went to another level of understanding miscarriages, and it's, it's terrible. It's the worst thing that a young marriage, and we've got a baby at home, you know, a one- or two-year-old at home, and we're trying to just figure out our way through that. And luckily, by the grace of God, we decided to take a break from having kids and just say, hey, you know, maybe we're just supposed to have one kid. You know, we got it. she got off the of medicine, got, you know, kind of balanced back out. And by the grace of God, we got pregnant with our youngest with no medicine, no help, nothing. And, and he was born happy and healthy, no problems. So that just kind of gives you perspective of the next level of infertility a lot of people deal with and, and losing and miscarriages. I mean, clearly you've got, you're, you're pressuring yourself. Um, you're, you're, you're discussing it between yourselves. There's, there's pressure there. I'm guessing you're getting some pressure outside of just your four walls. I mean, are, are people asking you, hey, when are y'all going to have another baby? I mean, what, what kind of pressures are you getting from, uh, from outside? I heard that? that once. I heard it a million times. That's right. Uh, yeah, you know, there, were, there was pressure. I think, I think a lot of the pressure I, I put on myself and Jennifer, my wife, put on herself um, because our friends around us were getting pregnant, and so not that it felt like a race or a contest, but you start beginning to think something's wrong. The, uh, I'll never forget the weekend or the week that we found out that I had some issues, and at first it looked like we wouldn't be able to get pregnant at all. Um, that weekend, that Saturday, we got a phone call that one of my best friends, well, two of my best friends were having kids. They just found out they were pregnant, and Jennifer's sister called, said she was having a baby. So that was kind of our our breaking point is that three people extremely close to us the same week, the same weekend, um, called and um, told us that that they were having kids. And I think the pressure, I I put most of the pressure on myself. Yeah, I would agree with that. We actually, and Adam would know this because we we go a little ways back, but Jess and I actually ended up quitting the Sunday school class because it got to be so much pressure on us. We stopped going to church on Mother's Day, baby dedication days, she, she and I both would come home wrecked and crying and, you know, not knowing, you know, what was our, we, we, our Sunday school class was a great group of people, but literally every week somebody was getting up and saying, oh, we're pregnant. And, you know, if we would go get in the car and cry, you know, so we just basically had to stop going at that point. And, you know, and the worst part of that, Kyle, is, is being on the opposite end of that, which we were at one point, we don't realize and, right. and, and nobody realizes, I think that the moral of this is nobody realizes what you're going through right. unless you're going through it. Right. You know, I mean, you're, if you've got a, a healthy pregnancy and, and, and like Daniel was saying, y'all got pregnant immediately, you don't understand the pressures. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's. And from this end of it, you want to be happy for your friends and you are, but then, you know, you kind of bottle that up and you take it home and you go sit in your closet or wherever and just cry. And, you know, is it ever going to be our turn? Will we ever have kids? You know, it, and that's a struggle. So how did you guys find out and discover what issues you had and what was going on? 
Well, that's the that's the juicy part of this uh, podcast. So, the best way I could describe how we found out is, of course, you go to the fertility clinic, you meet with a doctor, they start talking about options and plans, and then they schedule you an appointment. And so, didn't think nothing about it, had no idea what to expect. Um, so, basically, you show up, I showed up at a different appointment than my wife, so I was Captain Han Solo walking into the fertility clinic. We, we basically get to the, I get in there, and I get checked in by my nurse who will be assisting me, little did I know. And it was basically, if everybody knows the show, Andy Griffiths, Aunt B was my assisting nurse. <laughs> so I got instructions from- Kyle's TV references are a little out Yes, yes. Uh, I still watch yeah, TV Land, yeah. if anybody has a black and white TV. Yeah. Um, so she basically gives me a rundown- this is a 30-year-old man, a rundown, how to make a deposit from my loins into a cup. <laughs> and per those instructions, she informs me that we can't have any foreign matter. Make sure your specimen is clean. So Don't drop any coins or anything. Yeah, like that. or, right. you know. Land from your belly button falling right, out, things like that. Right. Um, no, no lubricants allowed sort of thing. So basically, I roll into this room with Aunt B right behind me just has just informed me how to do the deposit so no is she staying in the room no 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 there would have been no deposit if she was staying in the <laughs> so room. she's in, she's informed you how to do something that you are an yes, expert at yes, already right yeah, okay. yeah you perfected that, it yes. when you were 12 right, okay, that, gotcha, yes gotcha. puberty has since but I let her give her spell she seemed to enjoy giving the spell about how to do that so the room. I mean, Jansen, did you have an experience? Did you would did you go into what, what I would call the room? Oh yeah, we uh, yeah. There's there's a room, and uh, just imagine. Let's say you're you're sitting in the waiting room, and a DeLorean pulls up. Doc Brown hops out and says, "Hey, I'm going to take you somewhere." So you get in it. <laughs> Doc Brown takes you to this room, and little did you know, you travel back into late '70s, early '80s. Um, room decor and um, other items that... Uh, Did you have the big red vinyl chair in the middle of the room? Big red vinyl chair. Oh, yes. There was actually a cassette player in there for you to play your uh, your your young MC tapes if uh, you wanted a little... <laughs> a little mixtape. little mixtape, yeah. So, yeah, the uh, the room, I think all three of us went to the same room. So, Lance, you had Lance, the room? What, you had the room, too? What did you experience? So, so guys, I absolutely had the room experience as well, and I remember it very well. So I go in there, and the reddish, I kind of remember it being a little bit more brown. Like maybe by, burgundy. Yeah, maybe by the time I got in there, it was yeah, dirtied up a little bit. Yeah, it was brown by the time oh, yeah. you are the younger guy. Right, right. Yeah. So I go in there, and the room is dimly lit, and I see the chair, and you know, it's, kinda, it, it's pretty obvious they're trying to set the mood, I guess you would say. Obviously, with Aunt B, right, me in the right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and see, I didn't, I don't really remember the the Aunt, Aunt B experience, but I do remember them being very specific about the way I handled the um, package. The package, yes. After uh, the deposit was made, it, it was almost like you know, you're almost like you're in a movie where they're doing like a, a ransom drop at like a train station or something. They're like, okay, you know. Go by yourself, no cops allowed. Just drop the suitcase in the middle of the train station and, and turn around and leave. Like don't that look, was don't look back. Yeah, don't look yeah. back. And that was literally like what it was. You, you put it in this little door and you just left. Um, but anyways, the the thing that sticks out most is when I'm in the room, I'm 
walking over towards this chair, and there's a there's a small boombox that's playing. It's playing very softly, and as I get closer to it, it's playing "Born in the USA." <laughs> born in the USA, I was born. Okay, everybody knows the song. That's right. So. It was there that I finally mustered up the courage, and I was like, you know what? I've got to do this. If, if not for myself, for, for America. <laughs> America needs me right now. For the boss. Yeah. That's been so, your go-to love-making song ever since. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, can't get, I can't get that out of my head now. Every time I hear the song, I, I'm always going to think about The Room. I remember there being this wicker basket, like the wicker basket you would see in your grandmother's bathroom that yeah, has her right home next and, to the toilet. Yeah, it's so got that, her red book in it. Right, yeah. the home and gardens in there. <laughs> and it is filled with materials, as Jansen described, that Doc Brown bought, brought back from like 1970. So these were some of the magazines your dad had. I'm sitting here thinking, there, I, there's no way I'm touching any of that. So I look over. We're not talking like filled in the stream here. No, right? no, no, no. <laughs> had they, had no. they already filled out all the crossword puzzles or yes, something? Yes, there was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The reading part had been torn out, so I was not interested. Um, so the odd thing about it was, though, it hadn't dawned on me that like somebody was in this room a few minutes before me. I just didn't yeah. process that. So um, I think all our experiences were kind of like Kyle's in the room. Um, what was also kind of awkward about it all was when you were done, you put it in this metal door similar to like a bank deposit leaving your bank deposit yeah. right except it doesn't suck it up in some big tube but uh kind of cool though <laughs> it would be um but then like you have to make the walk all the way back to the counter and you actually pay afterwards so you have to walk across the counter and i remember you walk past like an open area looking out into the waiting room and everybody's staring at you like well i know why he's been back there and uh, it was just awkward. And then you sit down and you have to pay. Like, okay, I went and did this. Now I got to pay for it. It was just awkward. It, it, you know, it became a game, really, for uh, for me at one point. Because after my first time, I had to go back eight more times. So me and the room, we we have a close bond. Like, I can close my eyes and I can see it all. I can I can hear the nurses in the hallway talking about their weekend while you're trying to make your deposit. And... Uh, I, yeah. So you lost your amateur status. You became a professional. Right. Yeah. 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 I have to agree. So, Jansen, I definitely remember the exit procedure being awkward, but I also remember the entrance procedure being awkward, too. And I don't, I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but when you actually go to the fertility clinic, you know, you go up there and you, you sign your paperwork, you give them all the information that you typically would in any kind of doctor's office, but then they actually put a wristband around you, like you're like you're a piece of cattle or something. Like you're going to like a county fair? Or yeah, yeah, like, ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, you, exactly. So they, they put this uh, band around you and, you know, you go back to the waiting room, you wait to be called, and Mr. Jones, we're ready for you. Okay, great. So then you're brought into another waiting area. So it's just kind of like they're herding cattle through there. Yeah, that's the pre-launch room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They just kind of get you ready. Um, So, yeah, I found that whole, you know, beginning and ending of that process very awkward. Yeah, it was. In the waiting room, you know, like I was sitting in there with my wife, Jennifer, and I'm telling her, I'm looking around this room, and there's like eight other guys in there, and I'm telling her, okay, memorize every guy's face because if my kid comes out and he looks like one of these guys <laughs> they've they, they like mixed up the batches or something yeah yeah for me the awkward exit was literally after i slid my metal deposit box in and i walked out aunt b standing at the door and i'm like w- were you there the whole time and literally she asked me 
were you able to put your uh, however she worded, I don't even remember. Were you able to specimen. put your specimen in the cup? Yes, Aunt B. I was able Did to. Did she offer you a cigarette? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I know there are probably some people listening to this that are struggling with this very situation right now. So looking back in hindsight, would you guys advise them to be like, play this a little closer to the vest and keep it quiet? Or would you encourage them to be a little bit more open with their friends and family? So in hindsight, I would I would definitely encourage openness because uh, in my experience, I was not open to begin this process, and I eventually found out that a very close friend of mine was going through a similar situation. And when I found out that he was going through the same situation, it it meant the world to me, and it just it it really changed my opinions on everything, and it just made the whole process a lot easier. Yeah, I agree. Being open, uh, we were open from the very beginning. And uh, I think it made a difference. It made a difference in our marriage, our relationship with each other, that I didn't keep it bottled up and she wasn't bottling it up, that we had conversation about it, and that our friends and family knew. They could pray for us. They could talk to us. They could help us through it. Yeah, for us, it was kind of a two-prong. We, we started off very close, or I, I started off very close. I think Jessica was better about talking to her friends and maybe her family about it, but I was very closed off to the point I, I bottled it up so much that I, my release was always to go to the golf course late in the afternoons when all this was going on. I'd go play some golf or hit some balls. And finally, one day, when everything kind of changed for me, I don't think Jessica still knows this. I thought it was an accident. But I had basically a breakdown, anger fit. There was nobody else on the golf course right before dark. I just kind of had it out with God. I did my, my blow up at God on the golf course, and I was chipping around the green and had a wedge in my hand and took it over to a tree and just started welling on the tree with my sand wedge. Broke my sand wedge in half, brought it back to the house, and was like, yeah, I got to get a new shaft for my wedge. It just broke somehow. But basically it was me. That was my rage fit with God saying, you know, this is not fair. And from that point on, after that happened, we both made a commitment to be more open about it. Uh, we, we actually changed churches, joined a life group that led all of us to this, and we made a, a point to be open about it. And, and the best part about that was is when some old lady would come up and ask, when are you guys going to have kids? And I said, well, we're struggling with infertility, but we're really trying just to see her face when you were open and honest about it. Like she had just ate a bag of rotten apples and didn't know where to go from there. That was so gratifying. So guys, once again, thanks for being here and and thanks for discussing a tough topic and a topic that probably somebody listening to this podcast is struggling with. And that's our whole point of this podcast is to, to be an open book for you guys so you can uh, so you can know you're not the only one that struggle with things in your life. And I'm going to share a verse that I found that when we were struggling with this, it really hit home for me and changed the way our relationship was and from for me and Jessica. And it's uh, Genesis 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, came pregnant. When I first read that, I was kind of like, you know, this is good. He prayed about a situation and became pregnant, which we were already doing. But when I thought about it and dug a little deeper into the verse, I realized there was a lot more to it. It was The more important part was that Isaac took the time to not be selfish in his prayer and think about his wife and what was going on with her. 
And I felt like when I started actually praying more for Jessica and praying over my wife, it made me feel a lot better about the situation. So this verse has always stuck out to me. It's important to pray about the situation and pray for resolution, but it was so much more gratifying for me to pray for my partner, and it made our relationship so much stronger. Um, and and I just think that that was the verse that really stuck with me uh, when we were going through our struggles. All right, so what did we learn today? I learned that if uh, I ever hear born in the USA again, that I, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to think of Lance. I learned uh, you never want to be a tree on a golf course if Kyle's playing. I learned that I'm never going to look at Aunt B the same again. Likewise, I learned that Kyle hasn't seen TV since the turn of the century, I don't think. <laughs> Fair. I learned that Jansen has hybrid hamster offspring. I learned that Adam totally blew the first pick in the draft because he is so concerned with air conditioning. <laughs> That's very true. It's going to be a hot one. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. The denominators are Ryan Smith, Kyle Binkley, Daniel Knox, Jansen Hart, Lance Jones, and me, Adam Ray. Thanks to Chet Roberts for providing our music. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button and tell a friend. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CommonPod. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-P-O-D. And if you have a question or a comment for our group or you'd like to submit an idea for a future podcast, please email us at commondenominators at gmail.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N denominators at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.